You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Grover Norquist, founder and president of Americans for Tax Reform, joins the Post to discuss President Biden's proposed tax increases and his $2 trillion infrastructure plan. Let's listen. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Washington Post Live. I'm Becky Alimany author of The Power of Politics Newsletter. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce Grover Norquist, who's with us. He's the founder and president of Americans for Tax Reform Advocacy Group, which was started in 1985 at President Reagan's request. He might be facing the biggest battle of his career, as President Biden has proposed a $2 trillion infrastructure plan with a big tax hike. Grover Norquist, thanks for joining us today. Good to be with you. Uh, I'm excited to wonk out with you. Monday, uh, We I just want to get straight into things. We're less than three months into the Biden presidency. President Biden obviously has unveiled multiple plans that would increase taxes. What's your response to the administration's latest plan that we've seen? Well, you have to ask yourself, we're coming out of a pandemic. We're coming out of a time when many states closed much of their economies. We're beginning to come out of this. And why would Biden think now is a good time to raise the American corporate income tax to the highest in the world, higher than communist China, higher than anything in Europe, uh, and then the most low growth path uh, by having such a high corporate income tax? Why would you double the capital gains tax? Why would you set in a second level of the death tax? Why would you add energy taxes? The United States is very competitive in its cost of energy, and he wants to move to subsidized, uncompetitive, expensive energy and tax energy that's less expensive and undo infrastructure to tear down exactly the infrastructure that gets natural gas to people's jobs and stopping uh, the pipelines in the in the Midwest. So why a list of things, all of which we know, slow economic growth and put us in a bad path in terms of jobs or GDP or competitiveness in the world? I want to push you push back on that, though, because the system as is is not working for a lot of Americans, as we've seen really exacerbated throughout the pandemic with the poverty rate uh, rising over the past year. Uh, and, and under Trump's tax cuts, 55 of the nation's largest corporations paid no federal tax income tax on $40 billion worth of profits last year. So so what else would you recommend that the government do in order to equalize the playing field here? I think anybody in the government should have a longer period of, of, of history or of memory than 12 months. When the Republicans cut taxes, we took the highest corporate rate in the world, 35%. All the rest of the world had lowered their corporate rates below 35%, and they were getting stronger economic growth. As a result, we were still at 35%, 10 points higher than communist China. What happened when the Republicans cut individual rates, rates on small business, rates on corporations. We went to the lowest unemployment in 50 years, three and a half percent. And this is 2019. We went to the lowest uh, poverty rate uh, in, in 50 years. Everything that the liberals said they want to do with big spending programs was actually achieved. Uh, the bottom quarter earners got larger raises than the top quarter earners in, in the economy. So from everything from equity to jobs to creation, uh, compared to the rest of the world, the U.S. growth uh, in 2018 was 2.9%. That was twice Germany's, which was 1.5%, more than twice Britain's. We were not only outcompeting in, in one year, one year alone, 2019, the median income, which is the median income 
family income, half people make less, half the people make more. Bill Gates making a billion dollars doesn't move the median. The median income in that one year alone increased 6.8% or $4,440. $4,000 raise for the median income. That means tens of millions of Americans saw their income increase by those sorts of amount, by, by those amounts. That compares to, oh, during the Obama years, in eight years, Obama increased it 5%. In one year, the lower rates in, 29, in 2019 increased the median income 6.8% or over $4,000. By the way, almost exactly what the Republican economists in the White House predicted would happen if you cut taxes and more capital, more investment per worker flooded in. So to compare where we are and, and say tax policy is flawed because of the pandemic, Certainly, shutting down many of the states was not a particularly bright idea. Uh, and we see those states which shut down more, didn't do any better on the pandemic, and did do much worse on unemployment. Uh, but if you look at tax policy, we had a very successful tax policy and economic growth policy. And, and the pandemic knocked that down a bit. But uh, And before that, the weakest recovery since World War II was the Biden-Obama recovery. The Reagans was the strongest because he cut taxes and tried to rein in spending. Obama's and Biden's was the weakest, the lousiest, the worst in terms of jobs, in terms of uh, people's incomes, in terms of standards of living increasing. When we shifted to a low tax policy, we got one of the stronger economies and we got serious growth. And why one would back, why would you reverse engineer from the success of 2018, 2019, somehow blame the pandemic on tax policy? I, I missed that one. Uh, and then to go back to Jimmy Carter's capital gains tax, which even the Democrats in Congress rejected and, and overrode his objections, and they cut it in half, and we did a little bit better because of that. We did have a lot of rhetoric from Obama and from uh, Biden. There was an effort during the campaign to get the tax cuts to say, oh, it's just for rich people. Or even now, the pre uh, president runs around saying that. But as, as you know, the New York Times pointed out that the people who said that were wrong, that most people got a tax cut. The Washington Post pointed out most Americans received a tax cut. The CNN said the facts are most Americans got a tax cut. And the New York Times said that there was a sustained and misleading effort by liberal opponents of the law to brand it as a broad middle class tax increase. In point of fact, we saw serious reductions that median income, family of four, $73,000 income, got a $2,000 tax cut. If Biden wants, as he has said 56 times in front of television cameras, and it's online, you can go to our ATR website and see all the times that he and Harris have said, we're going to abolish the whole Trump tax cut, the whole Republican tax cut. If he did that, that is a $2,000 tax increase on the median income family of four, a $1,300 tax increase on a single parent with one child median income. Now, maybe he's not going to get rid of all of it, but he spent a campaign saying he was going to and saying it didn't help the middle class which misses the jobs that were created, the income that was created faster than under Obama, faster than in other countries, because lower taxes. But President Biden and White House Press, Press Secretary Jen Psaki have said repeatedly that families making less than $400,000 a year, middle-class families, are not going to see an increase in their taxes. Are you suggesting that they're not being truthful? Well, you're, you're citing their revised edition of what they claimed during the campaign. Uh, again, more than 50 times the president in front of television cameras, so he can't back out of this, said that no single person, no one, nobody, not families, no one 
would receive, uh, would have a tax increase if they, they earn less than 400,000. Uh, what uh, uh, Biden did was exactly what Obama did. Obama ran saying, I'm not gonna tax anyone, for anyone who earns less than 250,000. He then turned around and said, oh, I meant families. So I mean 125,000. And then he didn't even mean that because under Obamacare, his Obamacare tax penalty tax hit 5 million Americans, three quarters of whom earned less than $50,000 a year. So Biden did pummel people who were lower middle income families with higher taxes. And Biden's position was, I'm not gonna tax you unless you made less than 400,000. Oh, did I mean you? No, I meant your family. So now cut that in half, $200,000 per person. This is the uh, Biden marriage penalty tax. Uh, if you're not married, it's 200,000. If you are married, anyway, you get married and all of a sudden you're gonna hit, get hit with the higher uh, of the two. So this is a real challenge. Uh, now he's not even gonna keep the 200,000 or the 400,000. He's already broken it in the last tax bill. Uh, but if you look at what he wants to do in terms of taxes, he says he's gonna double the capital gains tax. 28 million Americans filed tax returns with capital gains last year, 28 million. You know what, that's not 1% of the population. He's gonna double the capital gains tax. Then he turns around, he's gonna have a second level uh, of death tax, the stepped up in basis, something the Democrats tried in the past, worked so poorly they undid it. Uh, they're talking about a wealth tax, which worked so poorly that uh, 11 of the 15 countries in Europe that tried it have abolished it, the others have pulled it back. He's trying to push a bunch of things that we've seen fail either in the United States or in other countries. Of course, when he raises the corporate income tax, who pays that? Well, for starters, 90% of Americans who pay, who have utility bills from uh, investor-owned utilities, 90% of people who have utility bills, water, uh, electricity, natural gas, uh, the corporate income tax that those utilities pay are by law passed straight through to consumers. And when the Republicans cut the corporate income tax, uh, billions of dollars were reduced in people's utilities because they were no longer passing on the higher tax. So those, that went away. When Biden raises the tax, um, he said originally 35% when he was running, now some of his staff are saying 28%. Whatever it is, add to that 5%, which is the average uh, state tax corporation, and you're talking, if it's 28%, you're talking about 33% uh, corporate income tax, state and, state and national, that's higher than every other country in the world and eight points higher than China. Makes us uncompetitive with the rest of the world. Um, and when you put that tax in, it also flows into everybody's utility bills. So 90% of Americans will see higher utility bills. 90% of Americans do not make uh, less than, more than $400,000 a year. And then, well, some of the tax, the corporate income tax, is paid by the investors, right? That not just that you can debate whether it's 20, 50, or 70% of a corporate income tax is paid in lower wages, uh, which is what the economists put around roughly 70%. Liberal economists have said 20 to 40. Uh, but when you're raising corporate income taxes by $2 trillion, 40% or 20% of that is a huge wage blow to middle income people. But think about people, no, but the, the owners no, of capital. It, it, the four, the if you have a 401k, your 401k will be worth less because there's a higher corporate rate and 53% and of American households have a 401k. 53% of Americans do not make more than $400,000 a year. Biden is going right for the middle class, right for the upper middle class, and that 400,000 is a dead letter and never meant anything and certainly doesn't mean anything now. 
I'm wondering, though, what taxes you would be in favor of, because at the end of the day, this gets pushed through by a budget reconciliation. Democrats are going to have to find a way to pay for this through, uh, presumably, tax cuts. And what we've seen with the president, the former president's tax cuts were that they disproportionately benefited the wealthy. You know, these statistics, as you well know, are startling. Between 1979 and 2015, the top 1% income grew by 230% in the U.S., while the bottom 90% increased by 46%. So if not a wealth tax, which I, I think you just ruled out, uh, what about a value-added tax, um, a financial transactions tax, which Senator Joe Manchin um, has uh, proposed. What taxes would you be in favor of that would, uh, you know, make the wealthier echelon of Americans uh, pay some federal income tax here? Well, when you looked at when higher income people uh, paid more in made more money versus less money, if you look at the uh, Obama years, you're quite right. The richer people got much richer, the poorer people got poor. It was during the uh, growth of the first three years of the Trump administration where the lower a quarter of the population saw their wages increase more and their taxes go down more than the higher income people. And that was, but that's a, was three years because that was the tax cut. When you well, reduce taxes, sure. on, when you reduce sure taxes under Reagan, completely. you also saw higher income people pay an increasing percentage of the total uh, tax burden and lower income people pay a lower burden. You're asking me, what taxes would I raise to, to come up with a whole series of new spending programs? The answer is the government, federal government is spending too much now. It's deficit spending now. It has entitlements that they haven't reformed for decades. There's been one reform of entitlement, and that was on aid to families with dependent children during Clinton. And Obama dismantled much of that reform, and Biden's plans are to dismantle the rest of it. Uh, so he is undoing the only effort that the Democrats had on rethinking and reforming some of their entitlement uh, programs and everything else is on full speed ahead. So the other taxes you mentioned are particularly damaging, certainly a value-added tax. If you look at Europe, the reason why the American tax code is much more progressive than the European tax code is they have more things like social security taxes and wage taxes, and they have the value-added tax, which is about 20% in many of those countries, a sales tax on top of everything you buy. It's why the Europe grows slower than the United States, why it's less wealthy than the United States, has lower income than the United States. It's something to avoid, not something to think we ought to jump into. Uh, the fact that O'Biden or AOC or somebody can come up with ideas on how to spend more money, it's not incumbent on anybody else to see how to go to middle-income people or anybody and say, we're gonna take more of your resources. Uh, right now, in the United States, we ask all candidates for office, a House, Senate, President, State Legislature, Governor, 44 senators have signed a pledge never to raise taxes, no net tax increase, tax reform, yes. 178 congressmen have made the same written public commitment to the American people, uh, and 13 governors, and that's a, a high on governors, about 1,000 state legislators. So those who have said, don't raise taxes, instead, reform government to cost less. There's a great deal of reform that can be done. There's no excuse for raising taxes, particularly on some of the infrastructure programs that people are looking at spending, that the government has spent $17 trillion in 50 years on the Great Society trying to make them work, and they haven't. And I want to get your perspective on reimposing the Obamacare tax penalty. Uh, the president wants to reimpose the tax penalty for those who decline to purchase health insurance, either on their own or to get coverage through their employer. 
um, you wrote that the tax penalty hit 5 million American households per year, three quarters of whom earned less than $50,000. The tax was between uh, almost $7,000 and, and 2085. What should the federal government do instead in order to help people obtain health insurance without this tax penalty? Sure, we should expand health savings accounts and make them available to everybody, uh, which it solves some problems for self-employed for self people and uh, people who are not working for a big company. Um, a health savings account, it allows you to save for when you have challenges on, on health care uh, and you can put a certain amount of money in the country, your employer can, you can, uh, and it allows you to, um, the other one is the idea that Republicans have pushed for some time at the state level is to take people who have pre-existing conditions and put them in a separate area and say, we will subsidize your specific um, health insurance because you have a pre-existing condition, which costs a lot. And rather than uh, making it difficult for the whole insurance indus industry or the whole insurance pool to function, take those people who have pre-existing conditions and make a subsidy available to them so that they can afford it and allow get rid of some of the mandates that put people put in. The politicians, uh, the corrupt politicians like say, I want to mandate this, this, and this because those different people give us money and campaign contributions. So everybody should have to pay for chiropractor whether they want to or not. Um, the fewer mandates and the more openness there is in how people deal with this and speeding up, um, getting new drugs to market, the right to try movement, which successfully passed in 40 states and then uh, passed through Congress. Uh, President Trump signed it, said that if you have a terminal disease and a, and a new drug is proven to be safe, but it's going to take four or five years before we decide if it's effective. And in four or five years, you're dead or your child is dead. You know what? You should have access to that without having to wait for somebody to decide whether they think it's important or useful or um, uh, effective and it should be available to you. So there's a lot you can do with the FDA. We saw a lot of reforms come in place during the, the pandemic. Remember that the CDC guys wanted to have, be the only people to do uh, testing. Well, that turned out to be a six week disaster. And now many people do have created testing and gotten it done. They sped up the process on uh, approving the, the new drugs didn't reduce any of the safety things, but they just made things get faster, as was done with AIDS research. Speeding up new drugs drops the cost of the drugs and saves lives. So there's a lot of reform at the, uh, at, at the FDA that can be done that reduces costs and gets new drugs to people. And Grover, you, um, you know, are perhaps the uh, single most important figure in, I think, shaping the way the Republican Party uh, has approached tax policy, you know, over the past uh, 20, 30 years. I I'm wondering, I'm sure you've been having conversations with Republican lawmakers um, as Biden is crafting some of the uh, biggest legislative proposals that we've seen since, um, you know, FDR's New Deal. What are they willing to compromise on? What are you hearing from them? Uh, and are there any taxes that Republicans would potentially be um, in favor of implementing here? Well, the Republican Party, there isn't a Republican in the House or the Senate that will vote for a net tax increase. If you want to do tax reform, the Republican tax uh, reduction in 2017, the, the one that Trump signed, had a great deal of reforms in it. They got rid of many deductions and credits and reduced rates. So it was, it was both a reduction in the tax overall tax burden on individuals, on companies, on consumers, on energy, uh, and, and on wages, uh, but it was also tax reform in getting rid of all the special privileges and special deals. Not all of them. You still have subsidies for uh, energy that doesn't quite pay for itself, wind energy and, and 
solar and so on, those get rather massive tax credit subsidies. It's not really a tax bill, it's a corporate welfare subsidy program. Um, so I think we could do a lot to rein in other spending. You could reduce spending in various areas and look to if you need different resources somewhere else. One of the things the Democrats have not done is say, is there anything we're doing now that makes no sense that we should do less of or do better or allow the 50 states to experiment as we did with uh, Clinton's aid to families with dependent children. And that was block granted to the states. 50 different states took different approaches. Some saved a lot of money, some saved some. They were able to target people who needed help more easily in, in the state. That could be done with a lot of the means tested programs we have and would save a great deal of resources uh, doing that, just keeping the spending on track with the wage increases of the American people. So there's a lot of resources you can, money you can save through less spending, but the idea of raising the tax burden on people when spending is already too high on many things that need to be rethought um, doesn't make any sense. And again, the biggest difference between the two parties right now is that the Republican Party at the national level will not raise your taxes. They may invade small countries they can't pronounce, but they won't raise your taxes. Uh, and there isn't a Democrat in the House or the Senate who won't surefully raise your taxes. And there isn't a Democrat in the House or Senate that will vote for a tax cut. So um, the, the biggest difference between the two parties is the question of, is your income safe uh, or does somebody want to take more of it? The Democrats have no limit to how much they're willing to uh, take it. They do do this thing where they say, I'm only going to tax rich people. But that's sort of trickle down taxation. Uh, remember when they put the federal income tax in 1913, top rate was 7%. Now the bottom rate's more than 7%. Uh, you had to make $11 million to hit the top rate. Uh, now you hit the <laughs> top rate a long time before $11 million. Uh, so they took a tax on rich people, the income tax, and democratized it to where during World War II it was a tax on everyone. Now it's a tax on about half the people in the, the country. To pay for the Spanish-American war tax, they taxed long-distance phone calls. Only rich people, because phones cost $4,000 in, in 1898. Uh, that was a tax on rich people. Forty years later, everyone in the country had a phone, uh, and they were still paying the federal excise tax on phones. The uh, tax on the alternative minimum tax. Ted Kennedy wanted it uh, because 155 people were not paying any taxes because they were putting all their money in municipal bonds, which weren't taxed. 155 millionaires weren't paying taxes. So they came up with the alternative minimum tax. And when before the Republicans called it back, it was on track to hit 30 million Americans, the alternative minimum tax. So they start by taxing rich people. And uh, Biden has one of those in. He's got to tax the Social Security tax on people who make more than $400,000 a year. He interestingly does not index the 400,000 to inflation. Your children, if they become small businessmen and women, will be paying both sides of the social security taxes, self-employed uh, people uh, at 400,000, which will not mean what it, tomorrow, what it means today with inflation. But, you know, uh, I want to push you back on that. There's a Wharton School study that was released earlier this week, which had estimated that the infrastructure plan would actually reduce the U.S. debt by 6.4 percent and increase the GDP uh, by nearly 1 percent by 2050. Uh, you know, this modest reduction in economic growth is attributed to the fact that infrastructure improvements will al allow Americans to be more productive. So when you hear those numbers, doesn't your uh, you know, does it influence your opinion at all? Isn't this some, aren't these two statistics that Republicans could get behind, you know, the, the, the party of shrinking the national deficit? We've 
been, th I mean, we, three times we were told, I'm not going to tax anyone who isn't rich. Clinton said it, he lied. Obama said it, he lied. Biden said it, he's already broken it. And in his plans, that was a lie. So when you say, do you trust them on this? The, the answer is, we know better than that. And the idea that the government can spend money more effectively or efficiently than you can spend your own money um, doesn't work very well. Uh, and doesn't, when you're talking of infrastructure, uh, and again, people think they mean roads, but only about 6% of this infrastructure bill is what you think of, what people think they mean when they say infrastructure, roads, highways, airports, waterways, 6 to 7%. There's a whole bunch of it that is, in fact, uh, they want to uh, do broadband because they've decided broadband is the future. They, somebody didn't tell them about satellites. Somebody didn't tell them about 5G. Uh, and so they're taking yesterday's technology and, inside, and deciding that everybody's got to have this one-size-fits-all approach as opposed to subsidizing those people in the rural areas who really need it because of the extra uh, amount of time, that, uh, the length of band to get there. Or you might actually think that it might make more sense to use satellites, which are being put up right now to solve some of these problems. So when the federal government comes in, the federal government's going to build a whole bunch of public housing. Now, let's see, will that work out? I don't know. Maybe we should think about the last 50 years and how well they did with that. And is it low-cost housing? No, it's actually much more expensive housing because the Davis-Bacon Act requires that you, that you pay above market rates for wages, the Davis-Bacon Act being a law that most Americans don't know about. It was put in the 1930s as an explicitly racist act because they didn't want black workers coming from the South and taking white unionized jobs in the North. And that law still exists with all the same incentives. Uh, South Africa had similar laws. And by requiring that government-funded programs pay above market rates to keep out young whippersnappers who are trying to get their first job uh, in, in, and get step up on the ladder, uh, that makes everything the government does with government money more expensive than it was done privately. Uh, and also, the decisions on how you do it are all political instead of economic. And by the way, anything you're doing on infrastructure today is something the federal government looked out over the last 50 years and said no. The state governments looked out over the last 50 years and said no. Individuals uh, with a bunch of money that wanted to invest on something they thought would pay off, they looked at it and said no. So you're talking about new investment programs or new spending programs um, that have been looked at before and been rejected. We, we were told that the Great Society was going to do everything that this new bill is going to do. And in point of fact, the Great Society, about $17 trillion spent, all the metrics that you would use in terms of are you getting people out of poverty? Is education better off when you spend more money on it? Or does it not show up in higher achievement and, and more learning? We, we've kind of seen this play before. And build high-speed rail and everyone would get rich, except they don't because it doesn't work. Uh, and they keep bringing these new ideas out. And again, if it worked, you know, Bezos would be out doing it, but somehow he's not. Well, Bezos has, uh, Bezos for the record else. has called for an increase in the corporate tax hike, which is worth noting. He hasn't explicitly backed the infrastructure plan, but he does believe that the wealthiest Americans and our biggest corporations should pay more in taxes. And I also have to fact check you on what you, the claim that you made about what percentage of the infrastructure plan actually allocates money to roads, railways, ports, water systems. Uh, it's actually about a quarter uh, to half of the plan that is dedicated to transportation and those utilities. But I'm wondering- You're, you're, you're padding that number. You're including subsidies for electric cars and subsidies. I mean, we don't subsidize gas stations. 
subsidies for things that, that people already have roads, they already have cars. They want to push you out of one kind of car and give every. Give rich I think even though right. outside of outside of the you know the 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 tip or tat on and the railways, and the railways are nowhere that Obama tried the high the speed rail. Republicans at a very local level who have called for infrastructure, who said that Republicans are going to lose in 2022 midterms uh, if there's not and if Republicans don't call to invest in infrastructure. So if the country doesn't resolve these problems involving infrastructure now, don't you think it's going to cost more in the coming years, not just in upgrades, but lost revenue and job growth? We should pave the roads. But when you give the government money and gas taxes, they do things other than pave the roads. That happens in all 50 states. It happens at the federal government. They siphon money that are supposed to go to roads into big city uh, subways. Uh, they, they siphon money into light rail that doesn't actually have the number of people want it that they advertise it does. These have never come out and worked out the way they said they were going to. They don't build roads. They don't pave roads. And they don't build um, bridges with the money that, that they have spoke, spent over the last 10, 20, 50 years. You're quite right. They've taken that money and put it onto other things. They're not going to put it into roads now. They actually don't like roads anymore. If you've been listening to what the radicals on the left think is a good idea, and we, sh we should all live on, on railroad lines like in the Soviet Union, not have roads. Uh, it, it, it's a way to get to everywhere or be able to get everywhere. There's some. We were told this when Obama, in the first two years, spent all that money on uh, both what was it, uh, shovel-ready programs. And we were told the Republicans voted against it because they said it's a boondoggle. And two years later, what did people say? They said Solyndra. They said corruption. They said not shovel-ready. And the Democrats lost the House and six Senate seats. You've got House and Senate guys out there putting their names on a bill with spending that's going to go out the door in politicized reasons and for politicized purposes. And two years from now, people are going to be asked, why did you vote for that bill and all that spending? And why is my 401k not doing what it used to do? And why is my energy bill higher? And because you've raised or taxed energy or you've taxed the companies that sell energy and you've made it difficult for people in the Northeast to pay to heat their cells or for, for in the South for air conditioning. Uh, raising people's basic living costs is not a way to lose to win elections. It's a way to lose elections. And throwing a bunch of political money around, much of which is going to end up spent corruptly and poorly and bridges to nowhere, uh, and is, is going to cost people House and Senate seats. Again, we don't have to imagine. We lived through this with the first two years of Obama, all the same promises and all of the problems that you would expect to have when people hand money out for free to people who didn't earn it. And some of that's going to be very political, and there will be cylindras, and there will be collapses, and there will be corruption, and it's not going to it's not going to look good for people. Much, much of this spending is years and years from now. Why commit it now? What's the point of that? What's the emergency? Why call it a COVID bill when only a certain percentage was COVID? And when I say it's not roads and bridges and somebody says, well, you should count all of this high, high, high speed rail that doesn't work. That's not infrastructure. That's somebody playing with toys with other people's money. You know, well, people should buy their not, own railroads. But again, $548 billion of this $2 trillion would be allocated. That's 24% of the $2.3 trillion pie was going to be is going to be allocated to concrete and steel structures. But Grover, we're running out of time, but quick question for you. Uh, when do you plan on returning to Burning Man? Any big post-pandemic plans? Well, we're going to go to Burning Man as soon as we reopen again. It was a disaster to lose it last year. Um, I think we'll be back this year. This We are way past uh, 
not first of all it's all outdoors for crying out loud it's in the desert um and uh, uh it is burning man all they need is for the nice people at blm to back off and leave them alone uh and let them have burning man go so uh i'm looking forward to a good uh burn this year and uh uh there was an effort to expand it somewhat uh, that got held up with uh, all the pandemic stuff hopefully more people will be able to come to burning man it's a it's in the middle of nowhere and there's a lot of open space so we could have uh, a few tens of thousands more people fit very well into uh, burning man this coming year well thanks so much for joining us thank you uh, and everyone, on Monday at the Washington Post Live, please join us. We're going to have David Ignatius interviewing the chief of staff to the Army and Hamdi Ukalakaya, the CEO of food company Chobani. Thanks so much for watching. Have a great weekend. See you next week. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.